Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, August 19th, 2022, the 576th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator com. You can do that for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. You'll be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. And of course, a huge thank you to everyone who is already doing that. So yesterday I talked at length about Sam Harris and his absurd and ignorant and malicious opinions about Donald Trump and Twitter's responsibility to censor people like Donald Trump and anybody who might support him, anybody who might say the things that Donald Trump says. He says he's worried about disinformation. He's actually just worried about dissenting information. 
He doesn't care about disinformation at all because he was more than happy to go along with the 51 former intelligence officials who called Hunter Biden's laptop Russian disinformation. And he still thinks it's a toss up moral question as to whether or not Hunter Biden's laptop should have been censored from Twitter and the other social media platforms. He thinks it's a toss up whether or not that letter from those former intelligence officials was disinformation. Even if it was, it was totally justified because Trump was just that dangerous. And the people actually didn't deserve to know the whole story, because if the people knew the whole story, then they might make different decisions, decisions that Sam Harris doesn't approve of. And we just can't have that. So in the interest of whatever is best for the entire world, from his perspective, Sam Harris happily bent his moral landscape. His moral decision making led him to the exact position he was already in before weighing the moral options. And it's amazing how often you do that when you believe that your point of view is going to save the entire world from certain doom, even after living through four years of the certain doom you are telling the whole world is real. And there was no doom. That's not enough to change the calculation. Two years later, two years of reflection, still a moral toss up on whether all of those people should be censored and whether those important issues should be censored. But it's only because he cares about disinformation. I guess he also said that the Hunter Biden laptop was so irrelevant that no matter what Joe Biden did on there, no matter what corruption they proved, whether it was Ukraine, where there's a war now or China, where there may be some war-like event between China and Taiwan. They certainly have active concentration camps there now. They're certainly stealing American intellectual property. They are persecuting religious minorities, the Uyghurs and the Falun Gong. And they're doing everything they can to destroy the American economy. But whatever Joe and Hunter Biden did there doesn't rise to the level of Trump University. Sam Harris said that even if Hunter Biden had the corpses of children in his basement, that still doesn't change the calculation. He said he wouldn't have cared at all because Trump was like an asteroid hurtling toward Earth. And he had Trump University, that devastating world event. And, you know, all of that other corruption that Sam Harris can't quite describe, but he knows it must be true because the television has said it so many times. And all of the very smart people in the country, people just like Sam Harris, agree with Sam Harris. Therefore, it has to be true because people like them believe it and people better than them believe it. And what Sam Harris did was expose elite intellectualism for exactly what it is. It is selfish. It is malleable. It is unprincipled. And it's not terribly smart. More than anything else, including his immorality yesterday, Sam Harris displayed his ignorance about almost everything that matters. Now, he is a master of sci-fi. He's a master of synthetic meats and robot AI and certain systems of morality that are just going to improve the whole world, whether or not people want their world improved in that way. He's great at science fiction. His knowledge 
of science fiction as applied by the technocracy is on par with the dorkiest Game of Thrones obsessives. He knows the material that well, just so happens to be a fiction. And if you scratch at the surface of elite intellectualism, you'll find out quite a bit of it is a complete and total fiction. And one of the areas that may surprise you, you may not be quite ready for this yet. I hope you are. I hope you're that far along in your wake up process, but you might not be. It's certainly going to rock the worlds of everyone still asleep at this point when they finally do realize the truth of this. They've been told it plenty of times, of course, but they never listen because it's the most important thing and they would never want to be called a science denier. This is the World Climate Declaration from the Global Climate Intelligence Group. They released a letter that is signed by 1,200 renowned scientists and climate experts. And the title of the document is, There is no climate emergency. Here is what they have to say. Climate science should be less political, while climate policies should be more scientific. Scientists should openly address uncertainties and exaggerations in their predictions of global warming, while politicians should dispassionately count the real costs as well as the imagined benefits of their policy measures. And that describes an opposite world to what is actually going on. The people in the false reality have absolutely all of that backwards. They say the science is settled. They won't discuss the science. The people who say the science is settled can't discuss any of the science. The politicians certainly cannot discuss the science at any level of sophistication, but they say the science is settled. 97% of scientists agree with them. And that number in itself means that the science is settled, even though it admits that 3% of scientists don't agree with them. Well, remember back to the beginning of COVID. How did the scientists do? It turns out that the dissenting scientists were the ones proven right over and over and over again for the last two and a half years about every single issue on which they dissented. The science failed. The science failed because they weren't doing science. They were just calling it science. The science failed because the science became political. This advice, climate science should be less political, while climate policies should be more scientific, could be immediately applied to the COVID narrative. It can also be applied to economics. It can be applied to literally anything the global communist order is trying to implement around the world and specifically in the United States. All of it is based on the same sorts of falsehoods and the same appeals to false authority. Do climate scientists address the uncertainties and exaggerations in what the public's perception is of their work? And that's me giving them the benefit of the doubt, right? I didn't say that they don't address it in their work. Some of them I'm sure do. And then the parts of their work that are effective and usable by the people trying to implement the political agenda, extract that from their work, attribute it to them, even though they expressed some doubt. And then because it's the science and because that scientist said that thing, well, then now it's just true and we can move forward with it despite the exaggerations and uncertainties. 
The science now is only political. The science is funded from political sources. And the science exists to provide not only a roadmap, but a justification for the policies they already want to implement. The science is literally performed to support the policy agenda. It's not the other way around that the science finds out we have this massive problem and then the science figures out ways and tests different ways that we might be able to solve the problem. And then they bring us this solution. They convince us, yes, this is really a problem. And then the politicians use their best judgment and respond to the will of the people and the people's best judgment. And then they make a decision to go forward. The process is completely reversed. And in the false reality, all of this makes sense. 97% of climate scientists, they tell us, agree that man-made climate change is real and that we can do something about it. And that if we don't do something about it, the planet is in an existential crisis. Where will all the people live when the land is covered in water someday? And when they say that, you are supposed to cower in fear and give them more power. Please, please, politicians, save my planet from the sun so that others will be able to use it someday or so that the happy rabbits and tigers and birdies can have their homes. Now, I want rabbits and tigers and birdies to have nice homes too, okay? That's not the point. The point is that the recommendations from the science don't guarantee any of those things. They actually convince us that we need to stop having children and beyond that potentially focus on a depopulation agenda because the planet is going to be attacked so hard by the sun that there simply won't be enough for everyone. And so to make sure that there's enough for the people who are still left at that point, everyone else needs to sacrifice. And liberals eat this stuff up because this is the vision of communist utopia. Way less people, especially poor people. It would be amazing if we never had to worry about poor people again. And since we're not, you know, really worried about poor people, we might as well just implement a communist regime that promises to take care of poor people. That's what we really need to do. And once we have taken care of poor people and given them universal health care, so long as they, you know, comply with all of the standards of our new society, then they can continue to live on and we'll even house them. We will provide them a 12 by 12 box. There will be a TV screen in there and we can have food delivered to their house. They'll have the metaverse. They'll never have to leave. Eventually, they'll die off childless and alone. And there will be fewer people. You do this across a couple generations and then it's only going to be people like us who remain, and it'll be a perfect utopia. Nobody will be in it. The planet will have been saved from the sun. It'll be only us there, and then we can do everything we need to. We're going to upload our minds, our consciousness to the cloud. We can replace our physical form over and over and over again, and then we'll never die. All it takes is making sure everyone else dies first. You got it? That's the climate agenda. You want to say that's a conspiracy? Well, I would say snap out of it, commie. It's a little late in the game to still be pretending. Natural as well as anthropogenic factors cause warming. The geological archive reveals that Earth's climate has varied as long as the planet has existed with natural cold and warm phases. 
the Little Ice Age ended as recently as 1850. Therefore, it is no surprise that we are now experiencing a period of warming. Warming is far slower than predicted. The world has warmed significantly less than predicted by IPCC on the basis of modeled anthropogenic forcing. The gap between the real world and the modeled world tells us that we are far from understanding climate change. Again, all of the climate threats, all of the stories of impending disaster are based on models, mathematical models. Consider epidemiology at the beginning of the COVID period. We were told epidemiologists were the world's greatest experts. They were the ones to decide how we must handle COVID because that's what they studied in college. And since college, they've done so many experiments. Are their experiments ever right? Are their models ever right? No, but their models always do suggest furthering the global communist agenda. So yes, the models are absolutely perfect. You remember Neil Ferguson from Imperial College London gave us the model that said 2.4 million Americans would die from COVID. Well, that hasn't happened. Pretty much every COVID death is data malpractice or medical malpractice. Find someone who has died from only COVID and not from the hospital protocol, not from something else, but was labeled COVID. Find me those people. Regardless of that sidebar, the models were completely and totally wrong. And by the middle of the summer of 2020, Neil Ferguson was breaking lockdown rules in the UK to visit his married lover. So not only was his advice wrong, he knew it was wrong and gave it out anyway. Epidemiologists are using applied mathematics and Assumptions about human nature, something that they do not understand in the least because they're epidemiologists and they view humanity in the aggregate. They want to understand the totality of human behavior, not individual human behavior. And they always get those calculations wrong for that reason. These are like people playing Dungeons and Dragons in their mom's basement. And hey, no offense to the Dun Dungeons and Dragons people out there. I'm sure you have a wonderful time, but you have one of the world's dorkiest hobbies. Sorry, we can still be friends. So mathematical models, you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about my dumb uncle, the biologist who sent me a mathematical model that he believed proves that the vaccines not only saved 5 million lives, but they could have saved 15 million lives more around the world if people just hadn't said bad things about them. Now, people are saying bad things about them because the experimental gene therapies are a complete and total failure if your motivation is to save people's lives. They don't do that. They don't do that at all. They don't prevent infection, transmission, serious illness, or death. They actually cause those things. Whoops. So, a mathematical model funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the WHO, Gavi, and the NIH hires a set of mathematicians and modelers to create this study for them. The same people who have been creating studies for them for a very long time. And they created a study that, lo and behold, 
shows the vaccines are not only very safe and effective, but they are world changing in their importance. And they would have saved more lives than people who even died to this point. There would be just more lives total. We would have reverse covid at that point. People would start springing up from the cemeteries being like, oh, I got reverse covid and now I'm alive again. If it only wasn't for those dastardly conspiracy theorists telling people real facts about the vaccines, the mathematical model doesn't make sense. They just put in a bunch of numbers with a bunch of assumptions, including the assumption that the vaccine actually works. And they came up with this model that said their thing is the greatest thing ever. So what we need is to inject more people and make more billions of dollars while destroying people's immune systems and promoting a segregated society. Hey, that's the science. But let's get back to the climate. Climate policy relies on inadequate models. Perfect. Climate models have many shortcomings and are not remotely plausible as policy tools. They do not only exaggerate the effect of greenhouse gases, they also ignore the fact that enriching the atmosphere with CO2 is beneficial. CO2 is plant food, the basis of all life on Earth. CO2 is not a pollutant. It is essential to all life on Earth. More CO2 is favorable for nature, greening our planet. Additional CO2 in the air has promoted growth in global plant biomass. It is also profitable for agriculture, increasing the yields of crops worldwide. And now is the time to think of all your very smart and very educated, college-educated communist friends who talk about how we need to be carbon neutral. We need to work toward a sustainable energy policy. We should really focus on carbon credits. Now, I have to go. I'm about to catch a uh, private flight to the Maldives. Global warming has not increased natural disasters. There is no statistical evidence that global warming is intensifying hurricanes, floods, droughts, and such like natural disasters, or making them more frequent. However, there is ample evidence that CO2 mitigation measures are as damaging as they are costly. Damn, that's messed up, huh? How could they lie to us about all this stuff all the time, just like they do with everything else? Climate policy must respect scientific and economic realities. There is no climate emergency. Therefore, there is no cause for panic and alarm. We strongly oppose the harmful and unrealistic net zero CO2 policy proposed for 2050. Go for adaptation instead of mitigation. Adaptation works, whatever the causes are. And of course, that's correct. Why would we want to stop something that isn't a problem? And if, let's say, it becomes a problem in the natural world, something that the science does not say we have the capacity to solve, we're going to have no choice but to adapt. So we should focus on adaptation in the first place and how we might need to adapt. Barack Hussein Obama's not adapting. He just bought a house on the shore for like $13 million. What's that for? Just the next eight years? He just put down that $13 million and said, oh, you know what? It's going to be great living here for the next eight years. But who knows when the waters start rising? 
Maybe we'll just have to build our own dam outside. No, 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 no. That's going to block our view of the coastline. It's just not a feasible solution. I guess we're just going to roll the dice and hope this works out in the future. Our advice to the European leaders is that science should strive for a significantly better understanding of the climate system, while politics should focus on minimizing potential climate damage by prioritizing adaptation strategies based on proven and affordable technologies. And speaking of proven and affordable technologies, the common communist out there would say wind and solar will fix everything. They imagine that wind and solar are 100% clean, 100% effective. They just basically grab free energy out of the sky and give it to you in your Tesla. That's how that works. And there's no downside. Look at how substantial those windmills are. They're not like those old wooden windmills on Dutch farms and mini golf courses. These are massive metal steel wind turbines. They're going to last forever, except they don't last forever. Actually, they create a bird holocaust basically every day. And then the turbine blades have to be taken out of service. And they're just put in landfills where they do not biodegrade. Isn't that unfortunate? And what happens to all those solar panels? Do those biodegrade? No, they don't. In fact, they pollute and contaminate groundwater and they don't fix the energy problem. Gosh, what an unfortunate series of events that no one could have ever seen coming. To believe the outcome of a climate model is to believe what the model makers have put in. This is precisely the problem of today's climate discussion to which climate models are central. Climate science has degenerated into a discussion based on beliefs, not on sound, self-critical science. Should not we free ourselves from the naive belief in immature climate models? And yes, we should. Now, these are some of the World Climate Declaration ambassadors. And again, there are 1,200 experts around the world signed on to this. You might remember the Great Barrington Declaration in the fall of 2020. That was a very similar letter that addressed the total uselessness of lockdowns and the anti-scientific nature of the COVID policies. And there were tens of thousands of people who signed on to that, doctors, experts around the world signed on to that completely alternate version of the science, except that was the one backed up by the real science and that didn't have politics in play. That was the proper way to be doing science. There are 1,200 signees already on this document, and you can imagine that more experts around the world will find some measure of bravery within them to forego their globalist funding and sign on to this letter because they know it's true. And if you don't want to go deep into the scientific discussion about climate change, at least understand this, right? This is the same, a perfect parallel to the COVID situation. Let's say there was a legitimate scientific argument and that each side could support their cases really, really well. And we even decided, hey, better safe than sorry, believing that there was no downside to the implementation of any of these climate policies. Yet yeah, might be a little tough for a little while. Klaus Schwab will tell you that. 
but it's only going to be tough for you. He's going to say it's going to be tough for everybody. It's going to require sacrifices by all of us, but it's really only going to be tough for you. But let's say that's not even a problem. Let's just focus on the solutions. Would the solutions work? Is there any reason to believe the solutions work? What kinds of people are supporting those solutions? What kind of agenda do those solutions point to? And is that the same agenda they're already trying to achieve? The one that leads directly to one world global communism. If you find out that the answer to all those questions is yes, and that is actually where we're being dragged, justified by the science, you might want to consider that the way the science is being described by the television, by the experts, and by the politicians carries the proof of alternate motivations, ones you haven't been told about because you're not allowed to be told about them. And you're never going to know because you have a busy life. Who has time to look at this stuff? You know that you get credit for saying that you believe the climate science. You're not a climate denier. You're not a science denier. So you get the credit. You say to the communists, hey, don't come for me. I agree with you that people are terrible and everything we do makes the sun want to attack the planet even more. And if we don't stop doing all this stuff, man, the sun is going to kill us all. So you say that to them and everybody just assumes that everybody agrees with everybody because that's what we're supposed to do, right? Everybody is supposed to agree with everybody and everybody is supposed to agree with people like them. And people better than them and the very best people up at the top that have the authoritative source on speed dial and are able to just communicate all of that to all of the serfs and the peasants out there. Hey, peasants, do you want to get a better life? Well, you better do what we say. And you know what? You're going to have to serve the people better than you, the people you want to be like, because you're not going to get to be like them. Unless you provide them some benefit, they're not going to let you up. Otherwise, it's a beautiful system they've got. So you go along with the climate thing. And then a few months down the line, they make you go along with the critical race thing. And then they make you go along with the transgender thing. And then they make you go along with the pedophilia thing, right? You can't say groomer on Twitter anymore. Why do you think that is? Oh, they're protecting the gays. Wait, if that's so, doesn't that mean that they are saying that all gays are groomers? Because I don't think that. I've never said anything like that. But they have. They're calling all the gays pedophiles and telling us that we're homophobic. But hey, you don't want to get in an argument with a communist because they might try to destroy your life. They're going to make sure that you can never achieve success. They're going to tear down your reputation. They're going to make it hard for you to get jobs. They're going to slander you in front of your friends and family. Who knows what your life is going to be like unless you submit, unless you comply, unless you repeat the slogans. And so you do like any smart person would, right? So once you've assessed this huge risk to everything you know as your life within the false reality, you're not going to go against the grain. You're not going to dissent with the common opinion. Climate change is very real. 
It's very man-made and it's very, very dangerous. The whole world could be gone in eight years if we don't do something right now. And that's a pretty interesting timeline they've got after they injected people with a substance that will deteriorate their immune systems, causing them to die earlier. Maybe we'll just be told that everyone is dying because of the depression and anxiety that they are experiencing, knowing that the end of the world is only eight years away and no one is saving them. Maybe that'll be the cause of death. But we've measured the personal risks. We've figured out what the reward structure is. Everybody will respect us and think we are very smart. We can know absolutely zilch about climate science or any of the relevant factors. But as long as we say that we know man-made climate change is real, 97% of the scientists agree we must enact the Green New Deal or else the whole planet is going to die, then everything's okay. And if you get enough people to do that, then it'll seem like there is a cultural consensus as well, even though no one has any well-founded belief whatsoever. We will assume that the people better than us checked, that they're definitely right, and that we can trust them because we want to be like them. We are already in some way like them. We're striving to become more like them. And so we know that very smart people like us always check before we make important political decisions or let's say life decisions, like whether or not to get injected with an experimental gene therapy that may well kill you and is certainly going to destroy your immune system. They figured everyone else checked so they didn't have to shoot it in my arm. And hey, you know, maybe I don't have access to people who are better than me enough to have immediate access to the authoritative source. So I just ask them, hey, what's up with this climate change thing? Do you agree that the sun is attacking the planet and will probably kill us all in eight years? And they'll say, you know what? I trust the experts. I trust the people better than me because surely they checked. They checked all the way to the end. They can prove every little bit of it. If only I ask them, I am positive of that, but I'm not going to ask them because I don't want them to think that I'm stupid. So I'm just not going to ask at all. And they are much closer to the very best people and the very best people for sure checked. That's where all of this information comes from. The very best people, the most powerful and influential people in the entire world, the richest people in the world. They're the ones who figured out all this stuff and then they just handed on down the ladder. And now I get 97% of climate scientists agree. And this is your fault. If you don't want to help. You would be ushering in the end of the world if you don't agree with us. So it starts up at the very best people. They definitely check, though. They are 100% correct all the time on the science because the science comes directly from the authoritative source. There's no way anyone can ever argue with it. And the very serious intellectuals who are just below the, those very best people, they're the ones who do all the work in justifying the theory and rationalizing it. They put all the mathematical models behind it to make it make sense to all the dum-dums. And, you know, mathematical models just simply are not science, but they're science-ish. And that's close enough to someone actually having checked to see if the science was correct and then to see if the solutions would ever solve this problem that science has now informed us about. This, in fact, is our best solution. This is our best choice for all of humanity. This is the best thing for the entire world, at least from Sam Harris's perspective. 
at least from the perspective of the intellectual elites who we know are just looking out for our best interests because they tell us all the time. It's not their opinion they're representing. It's the opinion of everybody, the whole world. They have the interests of the whole world at heart when they are arguing for the thing they already wanted. Don't you understand? And they're not biased, by the way, toward their own interests. That might be what you think when it just so happens that all of the science and all of the research and all of the data and all of the literature aligns exactly with what they want. You might think that they're biased in some way, but they're not. You see, Sam Harris is totally nonpartisan. He told us that over and over and over again. He likes Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney. Therefore, he's totally objective. He knows communists who can't even stomach saying the words Liz Cheney because they remember that her father is a war criminal and that she's only in office because she's his daughter. Or maybe they know that Liz Cheney's not really from Wyoming. Or maybe they know that Liz Cheney's making $6 million a year as a congressman, 5.8 million of which don't come from her being in Congress. But Sam Harris is not like them. That's the real bias. Sam Harris can list two or maybe seven Republicans that he could tolerate, sort of, as long as they're not in power, you understand. You don't ever want those people in power. You want them to be the people in power on the other side so that when the fight really occurs, you know that they're not going to fight very hard and that you'll win again. That's what it means to be unbiased. Don't you understand? You don't actually have to understand the political climate at all across the world because it doesn't matter. All that matters. One has a D one has an R case closed. Forget about the global communist order. That's not even a real thing, according to Sam Harris. While Sam Harris works with the Aspen Ideas Institute and surely the World Economic Forum, he has people like Yuval Noah Harari on his show over and over and over again to preach the World Economic Forum technocrat transhuman agenda. That is the basis of his show. And in the meantime, he has deep state actors like David Frum and Michael Hayden. But you see, he's not biased because of the DNR thing. Intellectual elitism should be by now, at least for you, people listening to this show, fully and completely exposed. These people are absolute frauds. They are not only frauds in their work and in their field. They're doing a true disservice to their work and to their field because they make it seem like everyone in their field is similarly corrupt. These people are destroying the earth and they are destroying society and they have absolutely no remorse about any of it because they have convinced themselves that all of it is right. It is a faith-based belief in scientific materialism that cannot be shaken, and they find it insulting for anyone to even challenge them because they truly believe that they are doing everything they're doing in the best interests of the entire world based on the science, not a moral calculation, not a calculation about what effect it might have on people you're not allowing a say in the conversation. None of that. 
It's based only on the science and their faith in scientific materialism. It is a faith-based belief that the science as of right now is correct and that it will only always ever head in one direction, which will be the same direction. Now, why would the science always head in one direction? That seems absolutely impossible based on the history of science, but apparently it is possible. So how's it possible? Well, it's possible if all the science is done in service of the same agenda. Isn't that incredible? Now, it's worth noting that I am not a climate expert. You don't have to trust my opinions on the climate at all. But the truth is, the judgments on the actual science are, on a large level, irrelevant. Because the solutions that are being proposed are so destructive and so unproven. And the ones they've tried have created more problems. There is no reason to believe that their motivations are good. There is no reason to believe that these people are being honest. They're not even being honest about the fact that legitimate climate scientists around the world disagree with them. So why would you take it at face value that you must to continue being part of society? That's madness. And it's exactly what got us here. We're told to trust the experts about our elections and they won't let us look. Stuff that's pretty easy to understand. We're told to trust local election workers and election officials in states. We're supposed to trust them because they have ours next to their name some of the time. This is what these people rely on. This is what intellectual elitism is. It is a constant appeal to authority always and nothing else because the authority is false and the authority is unwilling to be questioned, unwilling to prove itself. There is no rationale for belief there. Now, I noted on the podcast yesterday that I was certain Sam Harris would respond to all of the heat he was getting and claim that in one way or another, everybody else is just mistaking what he said. Now, I played the full segment. I think it was 20 minutes worth of that interview yesterday and went through it piece by piece. I am pretty sure that I gave an exceedingly accurate picture of what he was actually saying. But here's how Sam Harris responds. The totality of his response was a series of tweets, and he has begun blocking people who challenge him, including Jack Posobiec, who is a fairly prominent member of Twitter. It seems like he basically exists to torture these people. I don't know how he's still on Twitter, but we're not going to know the answers to everything at this time. Either way, Sam Harris blocked him. This is Sam Harris's response yesterday. There is a podcast clip circulating that seems to be confusing many people about my views on Trump, which is understandable because I wasn't speaking very clearly. So for what it's worth, here is what I was trying to say. I was essentially arguing for a principle of self-defense where there's a continuum of proportionate force that is appropriate and necessary to use. So Sam Harris is so under threat that whatever he does in response to the threat is justified because he's just defending himself by advocating for censorship and advocating for disinformation and advocating for a legitimate real world conspiracy to ensure that Donald Trump could not be president regardless of the will of the American voter. 
he feels personally so threatened by Donald Trump that that means Donald Trump is threatening to everyone. He is actually under attack. And what he's advocating for is self-defense from the way Donald Trump makes him feel. I've always viewed Trump as a very dangerous person to elect as president of a fake university, let alone the U.S. And when he became a sitting president who would not commit to a peaceful transfer of power, I viewed him as more dangerous still. However, I've never been under any illusion that he is orange Hitler. So he's not Hitler, but he's still an existential threat to the world and to the United States and to our democracy. Really? How's that? How did he do that in the four years he was president? Oh, I know it was the very violent insurrection. He said he wasn't committed to a peaceful transfer of power. Donald Trump wrote the Transition Integrity Project. Oh, no, wait. The people who wrote the Transition Integrity Project are people within Sam Harris's intellectual circle, one of them being David Frum, who is a frequent guest on Sam Harris's show. What was the Transition Integrity Project for? Oh, it was to ensure that the Democrats could successfully steal the election. It is spelled out. The post-election period is spelled out. The narrative about the red mirage is spelled out. Donald Trump would have a dominating lead on election day, and then the mail-in ballots would come in and change absolutely everything. The mail-in ballots, you see, are going to represent the real will of the people. And sure, they stopped counting in the middle of the night and trucked ballots in in the middle of the night and pulled ballots from suitcases and ran them through the machines multiple times. And yes, it took them days and days to count. And yes, they had unbelievable adjudication rates and a million other examples of clear and obvious manipulation. But you see, the Transition Integrity Project already described how all of this was going to be, and it was written by Sam Harris's friends. So Sam Harris, the very serious intellectual, knew that that document and that television narrative must be correct, and that explains the entire thing. There was no cheating. That's it. Done. No other argument necessary. And if you make one, you're a domestic terrorist. On the podcast, I was speaking narrowly about the wisdom and propriety of ignoring the Hunter Biden laptop story until after the election. I've always thought that this was a very hard call ethically and journalistically. Oh, you just wanted to ignore it until after the election. And then you would figure out whether or not it was real and how important it might be. So you've had nearly two years since then. Have you looked into the laptop and figured out that it was real and how important it might be? Well, no, you haven't, because you said no matter what's on that laptop, Trump University is more important. In fact, Hunter Biden could have the corpses of children on his basement floor on the laptop, and that still wouldn't matter in relation to how corrupt Donald Trump is based on your childlike understanding of Trump University that you received from the television. Congratulations, you intellectual. But given what happened with the Anthony Weiner laptop in the previous election, I think it was probably the right call. Look at that. No principles whatsoever. It was so important with Donald Trump. It doesn't actually matter what's on the Anthony Weiner laptop because Sam Harris certainly doesn't know. It doesn't matter what was in Hillary Clinton's emails because Sam Harris certainly doesn't know. 
it's very convenient that he's able to say, oh, I just wanted to wait till after the election. I didn't want this uncertainty to influence the outcome of the election. And there's no way people could have analyzed all this in 12 days, except they totally could have. If everybody understood that the laptop was real and that what was on it was real, it wouldn't have taken 12 days to figure that out. And that's what Sam Harris is really concerned about. And he didn't look after the fact. He didn't look into Anthony Weiner's laptop after the fact. He didn't look into Hillary Clinton's emails after the fact. All he did was complain about Trump for the entire time, which also disputes the idea that this dire concern only rose in him after Trump made clear that he wouldn't commit to a peaceful transfer of power. You got that? All Trump said, by the way, was that he wouldn't say leading up to the election that he's sure the election results would be free and fair. And why would he say that when he knows they wouldn't be? His last tweet in this string. Nothing I said on that podcast was meant to suggest that the Democrats would have been right to commit election fraud or take other illegal measures to deny Trump the presidency, nor do I think they did that. Oh, well, that's good. But check that out, Sam Harris. That's another subject you haven't looked into at all, you very intellectual moron. Now, I've been meaning to update this all week. This actually came out on Monday, but I haven't had a perfect place to fit it in, and I still don't now, but I want to put it on your radar. This is from the Daily Mail today. Myanmar court jails Aung San Suu Kyi, 77, for another six years for corruption, taking ousted leaders total prison time to 17 years as U.S. calls verdict an affront to justice. You got that? So the woman who is a George Soros, Barack Hussein Obama, Hillary Clinton ally in Myanmar who stole an election and was deposed by the military in Myanmar still retains our fake administration support. They call the Myanmar military's action an affront to justice. A Myanmar junta court jailed Nobel Peace Prize laureate Aung San Suu Kyi for six years for corruption on Monday, a source close to the case said. The sentence, on top of an 11-year term she was sentenced to for various charges the junta foisted upon her following their anti-democratic coup, takes the ousted leader's prison time to 17 years. Suu Kyi, 77, has been detained since the generals toppled her government on February 1st last year, ending the Southeast Asian country's brief period of democracy. Suu Kyi was sentenced to six years imprisonment under four anti-corruption charges, said the source, who requested anonymity because they were not authorized to speak to the media. Each charge carried a maximum of 15 years in jail. Suu Kyi was sentenced to three years for each, but three of the sentences would be served concurrently, the source said. But isn't that amazing? The military deposed the fraudulently elected leader, and now she is being imprisoned and her prison term is being extended despite the wishes of the illegitimate administration in Washington, D.C. and its allies in the global communist order. They haven't been able to overturn this military coup they're saying is happening, and they're not all that focused on it. Why aren't they telling us about it every day, this dire issue for our democracy? Why aren't they committed to 
restoring democracy in Myanmar the same way they are to pretending to save democracy in Ukraine, one might ask. Are the citizens of Myanmar not as important as the citizens of Ukraine? The brave citizens armed by the comedic actor with their 10,000 guns and all the money and U.S. military support that just never quite seems to get there. They kicked Soros out of the country. They eliminated his whole organization's ability to bank in Myanmar. How is that not connected? Soros does have influence in Ukraine as well. I guess they just gave this one up. They couldn't overturn the military coup, right? It could never happen here, though. It could never happen here. There's no way to think anything like that could ever happen here. There's no way in the United States we could ever overturn a fraudulent election. It just can't happen. And yes, yeah, sure, it can happen in other countries around the world like Myanmar and Burkina Faso. Very tiny countries, not rich, powerful nations like the United States. They can depose their fraudulently elected leaders and then leave the military to stabilize the country until everything is figured out. But we can't do that here. In fact, it can't happen anywhere because the forces against us are so strong when it comes to us, just not when it comes to those little weak nations like Burkina Faso and Myanmar. You got it? Totally makes sense. All your very black-pilled friends, they're just right again. And I'm a dumb conspiracy theorist. Isn't it amazing how that always works? It's always the same no matter what. I'm always wrong. Those people are always right because I'm a conspiracy theorist and they trust the experts. Now, a member of my Telegram podcast chat, a guy who goes by Tweeter Trash and always talks in only capital letters because he's apparently very excited did a little dig last night on something very, very interesting, and it fits in with this discussion about intellectual elites and trusting the experts. And he attached a few articles. I'm going to go through some of this and put it together, but he did a great job, and this is a great poll. This is from the World Economic Forum on November 26th, 2020. There's no vaccine for the infodemic. So how can we combat the virus of misinformation? What is spreading across the globe can be passed on unwittingly from one person to countless others is potentially deadly, yet can be stopped if everyone takes the right steps. Misinformation, the subject of the new episode of World vs. Virus. Heard of the miracle cure for COVID that the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about? Or that the pandemic is in fact a plandemic deliberately created to make someone a fortune or to subjugate the masses? then you've come up against the virus of misinformation that has spread around the world as fast as the coronavirus itself. Oh, yes, only crazy people believe stuff like that. In a world where social media is increasingly where most of us get so much of our information and where we value freedom of speech as a cornerstone of democracy, what can be done to combat dangerous misinformation? When COVID-19 emerged, it was clear from the outset, this was not just a public health emergency, but a communications crisis as well, says Melissa Fleming, who leads global communications for the United Nations. With a huge public demand for information about the pandemic and the rapid spread of false information, the infodemic is putting lives at risk. So Fleming is heading a campaign to help true information surface out of the deluge of rumors and lies. She has launched Verified, keep that name in mind, 
where people can sign up for daily emails on the latest COVID news that comes from reliable sources. Science-based information that might otherwise be buried on page 125 of a PDF presented, quote unquote, in formats that are optimized for sharing on social media. You got that? Infographics are now the science. It is front and center in your social media feeds, so it can compete with the slick misinformation content, Fleming says. The UN is also encouraging us to stop rushing to repost potentially dubious content, promoting the hashtag pledge to pause. You got that? When you see new information, you have to wait and think about it. See if somebody else puts up competing information first. And if they do assume that you are wrong. Because the television has to be right. We're trying to create this new social norm called pause. Take care before you share. Fleming says you got it. It rhymes. So even people with child sized brains in their dumb adult heads can understand it. We're equipping people through this new social norm with a bit of information skepticism. The UN is also encouraging social media influencers to help spread real news about the pandemic. And that's the only way information spreads. It doesn't spread by one person saying, look at this true piece of information I found. Would you like to see some true information as well to help you guide your life? And someone else says yes, and then they pass it on. That's not how information works. Information works by looking up to your favorite basketball player and seeing what science they post. So far, we've recruited 110,000 information volunteers, and we equip these information volunteers with the kind of knowledge about how misinformation spreads and ask them to serve as kind of digital first responders in those spaces where misinformation travels, Fleming says. And let's move on from that World Economic Forum article. You're more than welcome to go find it. But the key there was to understand that this group called Verified is part of the World Economic Forum's initiative against mis and dis and malinformation. They're going to make sure that you only have the right facts. So my good friend, Tweeter Trash, dug into Verified and he found this article. Using evidence-based insights to create behavior change. Increasing COVID safe behavior in South Africa. Insights from Verified. A lot of campaigning focuses on celebrities, high-profile influencers, and general audiences. They don't always explore the power of specifically targeted campaigns that use micro-influencers and community champions as the primary voices. Elevating community voices increased trust, support, and most importantly, buy-in for our messaging. This increased the impact of our campaign, helping us to shift social norms in the community. This is from George Mwangala, Associate Campaign Director with Verified. Now, I've talked about this sort of thing on the show before. You will remember, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, that for a time in Hollywood, I was a partner and led business development for a company that ran celebrity social media accounts and social media accounts for brands. I was not the one obviously operating any of the accounts, but that is what we did. So I have some background in this. And on this show before, I have mentioned that while we were focused on celebrities, 
there is a huge market for micro influencers. And if you look at the fashion blogging world, for instance, there are some very prominent fashion bloggers, and obviously they make the most money. But there are some much smaller fashion bloggers. They call them micro bloggers who make far less money, but can still make some sort of a living by being an influencer online to their own personal communities, because those people see them as a trusted authority on fashion. So when you expand this outside of social media or outside of the fashion blogging world, I should say, you look at who else influences small communities. In many cases, these are community leaders like pastors of churches. These are people who are targeted with outreach from these sorts of groups so that they can be incentivized to carry this message forward to their communities so that they can get trust and buy-in from that audience that they might not be able to achieve by paying LeBron James to tell everybody at the same time. That is what this is for. These are influence campaigns. And if you see people in your local community who don't seem to have any connection to local government or public health or anything like that, and they are pushing these messages constantly and they are seen as trusted figures in the community, you should wonder. I'm not saying it's a certainty. Obviously, don't go target people, but you should wonder and it's worth maybe digging into whether or not those people are being paid as influencers to spread this information. Communications can effectively change behavior, but they have to be done in the right way. For Zwakala, our initiative to promote mask wearing and vaccination in, I'm going to pronounce all of these names wrong, so I'm going to skip them, a township in Cape Town, South Africa. We used evidence-based insights on persuasion and behavior change to create relevant and effective campaigns. Based on our research, we designed a campaign to shift social norms, how people think their peers feel or act around COVID safe behavior and increase our audience's sense that they and their loved ones were at risk from the virus. Let that sink in for a second. The campaign was specifically focused on convincing you and your loved ones that you are at risk from the virus. We designed our campaign in collaboration with local community champions who had everyday interactions with young people in the township. This created a campaign that was contextualized by and grounded within the community and fostered a sense of local ownership. The results were sharp, friendly and local and helped establish COVID safe behavior as a social norm in the community. Behavioral science research told us we needed to increase people's risk perception, the feeling that there is a threat to themselves or their loved ones, while also empowering them to feel like they can do something about it. Isn't that amazing? Increase the level of perceived threat and then give them a mitigation step that actually does absolutely nothing other than make them feel like they're doing things to remain safe. If you've created the threat and it's not actually that dangerous and your solution doesn't do anything to mitigate the threat, you can create the perception that anything, any outcome that is not as severe as the perceived threat was then due to the mitigation steps and you're actually fighting COVID in a very effective way. Apply that to climate change. Our focus groups and social listening revealed that young people in that Cape Town township, 
didn't feel at risk from the virus. They were, however, concerned about their older family members and the people in their community. This led us to emphasize the risk of COVID-19 to the wider community and how young people could lead the way on reducing that risk through the simple act of wearing a mask. Isn't that incredible? If you don't wear a mask, you're going to kill grandma. They increase the risk perception, even though the risk is very, very low, extremely low, almost non-existent. The masks do nothing whatsoever. But after creating the fear and telling children and young people that they can protect their grandmother by wearing a mask, well, then they do it and they encourage their parents to do it because everyone wants to protect grandma. They're laying it right out. I've been describing this for over two years and they're laying it right out. This was the plan all along. Who's shocked about that? Absolutely no one, unless you're a communist. The success of the Zwakala campaign led the South African government and partners like UNICEF to adopt its model. It was expanded nationally in South Africa with a messaging focus on vaccine confidence and uptake. Isn't that great? You take the vaccine to help grandma. Is there any threat to grandma? No. Is there any threat to you? No. But there might be a threat to grandma and you can take the vaccine to make sure there's not as much of a threat. It's all about perception. You see, has nothing to do with the real world. It's just perception. It's just messaging. It's just manipulation. The campaign tool kit we created for our partners, including the United Nations Information Centers, has allowed them to adopt the model for campaigns in other regions. Our current campaign in Kenya is also following this model in partnership with the Kenya Ministry of Health. If you want to find out more, read our insights on using evidence-based insights to create impactful campaigns. And my good buddy, Tweeter Trash, also included some of the insights from this very effective model. And I'll go through a couple of them. Insights from Verified. Using evidence-based insights to create behavior change. Research on persuasion and behavior change shows that to convince people to take action related to their health, we need to help them. One, feel that what we are asking them to do is normal and expected. They're not asking you to do something extra. They're just asking you to like just shift a tiny bit. And this is the sort of thing that everybody needs to do. And it's not a big deal. So just do it. Understand that they and their community are at risk. Have you ever felt at risk from COVID-19? I have not. Not once was I ever concerned about getting COVID or dying from COVID. In fact, in early 2020, I was like, I hope I get COVID soon so I have antibodies and don't have to deal with any of this bullshit ever again. Believe that they have the ability to do something about it. That's the other part of this. So the, the three steps of inducing behavior change in this part of the program are feel that what you're doing is normal and expected, understand that you're at risk, and believe that you can do something to change that risk. This is what they want to convince people of. The priority here is behavior change. It's not preventing COVID or saving lives because none of these steps do anything to accomplish that. They want to raise your perception of risk and threat so that you will do what they want you to do. They're talking about cultural behavioral change. That is what they want. 
They look at people in the aggregate. They want people to all do the same thing because it helps their agenda. And this is how they accomplish their mission. Shape what behavior your audience considers normal. Social norms, how people think their peers feel or act, guide people's behavior. And this is what I have said countless times. This is part of the basis, this understanding of the party of false decorum. You remain in the party of false decorum by responding to and acting in accordance with social norms. That is the way to impress the people you want to be like and ascend the ladder within the party of false decorum. Elevate stories that show people in action and help make that behavior normal and expected. Think about what you saw on Instagram from social media influencers. You saw pictures of people in masks. You saw pictures of people getting their vaccines. You saw pictures of people dropping their mail-in ballots in ballot drop boxes. That was a coordinated campaign, and I have described it as such for well over two years now. Those people were paid to communicate those messages. Those are stories that show people in action. Okay, that is what this is designed to promote. Use trusted messengers, role models to show that other members of the community are taking action. Make it personal. Share stories that help your audience understand why they should act. And this here is the coup de grace of communist propaganda campaigns. Combine hope and fear in your campaign messaging. It is important to make your audience feel at risk and that they can do something about it. No matter what type of message frame you are using, make sure it is empowering. Use fear to create a sense of threat. Make the audience feel that they and their loved ones are at risk. Center what they can do to change the situation and make them hopeful that their actions will make a difference. Think again about what social media influencers on Instagram have done for the last two and a half years, but truthfully much longer. Think about all the World Economic Forum associated intellectual elites, all the influencers, the cultural influencers on Twitter. Think about what they do. Think about what their messaging is. Think about what pictures they take of themselves, how they display themselves acting in their own lives, despite the fact that there are ample stories if you simply go look from these same people's real lives where they do not do any of the things they're telling everyone else to do, this is coordinated. It is orchestrated. It is a system of manipulation designed to make people do things they would not want to do. And why wouldn't they want to do them, right? We all want to save the lives of our loved ones. Why would we not do these things? Why wouldn't we just do them on our own? Why do we need to be convinced? Why do we need a massive campaign to convince us of these things if these things are indeed saving the lives of our loved ones? Well, it's because we don't believe it at all. No one believed that COVID was the threat it was made out to be in the media. No one did, or they would have acted differently. Maybe there are some absolute child-brained morons on the far end of the spectrum who are legitimately scared about all of this. Maybe that's possible. Maybe it is. 
But everybody else was just trying to fit in with social norms. They were trying to be compliant and obedient to impress everyone else because they did not want to be the person who wasn't going along. They are all sheep. They are all cowards. The intellectual elite are the leaders of sheep and cowards. And wait, what if they're doing the same thing with climate change? What if they're just creating fear, but also making us feel like we can make a difference by doing senseless things like banning plastic straws? But that can't be it. 97% of scientists agree. This program began at the top. The information began at the top. It is all disseminated down, rung after rung after rung after rung until it finally reaches you, the peasant. And because everybody else on all the higher rungs obeyed the entire time, you have to obey or you will be destroyed. Who do you think you are, you peasant, to challenge the word of the experts, to challenge the advice of the authoritative source? How do you dare challenge the science? The science is always right. Except the science isn't right at all. And the intellectual elites are full of shit. They're not smarter than you. They're not better than you. They're not looking out for the whole world. They're looking out for themselves. They are small. They are weak. They are cowards. And they are malicious. We need to say farewell to the party of false decorum. If you are still in it, in any facet of your life, figure out how to leave as fast as possible. What is happening is intentional. It can be stopped by you speaking up and people listening. That's all it takes. Wide understanding of what has happened will end it all. That is all that is required. Stand up and speak up. I will be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social getter and gab at i'm your moderator i also have channels on rumble and BitChute. if you'd like to follow the writing you can find me at i'm your moderator.substack.com the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture if you'd like to support the podcast financially the best place to do that is kofa go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!